So you guys, if you remember last week, for those of you guys that were here, man, we spent some time, right, examining some pretty interesting things, didn't we? We were looking at Moses and how he had had to go back up on the mountain, right? Like, so he went up on the mountain, he got the two stones, God gave him the two stones, the two tablets. Like, he didn't have to do anything the first time, right? God just gave him two stones that he had written on. And then he handed them to him, and what did Moses do? He came down and took these priceless artifacts, these priceless things, and saw complete debauchery happening, and he hucked them onto the ground and broke them into pieces. And then he dealt with that, and we talked all about that over the last few weeks. But last week, we saw that he went back up onto the mountain, and we saw that God had told Moses this time, hey, you need to cut the two stones. You need to cut those stones, that second set of tablets. And I just want us to think about this. I'm sure that wasn't a super easy process, right? They didn't just take it down to Lowe's and be like, hey, you know what? Can you just go ahead and get that done for me? You cut me a couple slabs of granite? (laughs) No, this was like, tink, 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 right? He's up there for 40 days. I mean, who knows how much of that was just cutting those tablets, right? But there he is, he's doing it, right? He, He gets there, he gets it done. And we see then that he went up carried the two, two stone tablets up. He was, saw the beautiful thing that God had given Moses because he had asked. Remember God, Moses said, hey, can I see you? Can I see who you are? And he's like, no, you can't see my face or you'll die, right? But he did say, he's like, I'll show you my glory. And we saw, man, he passed by Moses and he proclaimed who he was to Moses. He proclaimed that he was merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithful and forgiving iniquity and transgression But he also mentions this at the very end of that. If you guys remember, he says there's got to be guilt or there is a guilt. There is a sin that needs to be satisfied, right? There's sin in our lives and that guilt must be satisfied. Now, the cool thing is we know in this point in history that that was satisfied through who? Jesus, right? Jesus satisfied all of that for us. Sin was satisfied on the cross of Christ, but For those that choose to go another way, even now, but especially back then, who was the guilt on? Them. If we don't choose to accept the thing that frees us from our sin and from our guilt, we're going to pay for it. And we don't have shoulders big enough to pay for that. We just don't. And neither did they. And this is what I love about this. Think about this. God had just told Moses while he was on the mountain, Yo, your people, they're down there being a bunch of idiots, right? My paraphrase, obviously. And he was like, what? And so he goes down, he finds them living sexual sin, just being stupid around this stupid gold calf. And then Aaron lies to Moses, right? He's like, I don't know, I just threw the gold in and they'll pop the calf. And I have no idea how that happened, right? Like just such stupidity. And he deals with it, right? He says, man, who's with me? And the Levites come. And then he's like, go and kill. And there were 3,000 that died, right? And we talked about the fact that maybe, some people believe that maybe they were the ones that didn't see Moses coming down because they were so steeped in what they were doing. They were so in the middle of having sex or doing whatever they were doing that they didn't even see it. So that maybe those were the 3,000 that were killed that were just, they just went around and are like, you didn't catch the memo? Here you go, you're dead. But they killed 3,000 people that day. But then he goes back up And God passes by Moses, and what's he say to him? The most encouraging words he ever could say, didn't he? Because you know what he could have said? I am justice. I am justice. He could have said that. You're going to die. 
a horrible, horrific death and be eternally separated from me if you don't choose to follow me. He could have said that and been well within his rights, right? Am I wrong? But he didn't, and I love that about God. Because he's like, yeah, I know. you know what you did. We all know what you did. I'm the one that told you, Moses, don't forget. But you know what I'm going to point out to you? Do you know what I'm going to show you? I'm going to show you a piece of me, and that piece is my love and my grace and my mercy and my long-suffering and all of the amazing things that thank God he is those things and not just a God of justice, right? It's kind of what, to me, throws me off about the Muslim religion because if you look at all, or if you've ever looked at all at the Quran, there's not a lot of grace or mercy in Allah. There's a lot of justice. There's a lot of just crushing. There's not a lot of grace, right? We serve Yahweh. We serve a God of mercy and grace. And so he lays out this most encouraging thing. He lays out and he renews the covenant with Moses. You guys, and he does it in the most encouraging way possible. We looked at the very end of this chapter after he passed by and what did he say to Moses all the way through up through verse 28? He tells them these cool things like, hey, guess what? I'm gonna take you to a place that I promised Abraham. Like I've renewed my covenant with you. We're not done yet. It doesn't matter that you've screwed everything up. It doesn't matter that I've already asked you, Moses, if we wanted to meet, if you wanted me to just wipe everybody out and start over with you. None of that matters. I've renewed my covenant with you. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to go on your way to the promised land. You're going to leave here and you're going to start on the journey. You're going to celebrate the feasts. What do those feasts say? They talk all about the faithfulness of God. And there would be times of celebration and rest and abundance and there was going to be opportunities for them to give of their abundance. So what's all this? Think about where they're at, you guys. They're in the middle of the desert. Do you understand how encouraging this would be? Wait a minute, God. What you're telling me is, is there's going to be enough crops and stuff at some point in our lives that we're going to have like this abundance that we're going to be able to give to you of our abundance? Do you see the promise and the amazing parts that God's speaking here to Moses? that he gets to go down and share with his people that knew when Moses came back down off the mountain, like, okay, we're not going to do it the same way we did it the first 40 days. We're not going to do that again. But can you imagine? I, I would imagine that they, when Moses came down off the mountain, that they were waiting for a pow-pow, right? That they were waiting to get a little bit of a smackdown from God. Wouldn't you be? Aren't you? When you screw up, isn't that your automatic assumption from God? And how cool is God? If you go, listen, guys, I'm just telling you, I've been guilty of this. Have you ever done this where you've, you've asked the Lord to forgive you? And then you wake up the next morning and you're like, that guilt just washes over you. It does for me. As soon as I wake up sometimes, I'm like, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that thing. Man, I put my foot in my mouth. And it's like, that's the first thing I think about when I wake up. And right away, again, with the Lord, sometimes I'm just like, oh, God, forgive me. And I'm in there brushing my teeth, looking in the mirror. I'm like, I'm such a loser. God, forgive me. And after a while, it's like the Holy Spirit's like, dude, I forgave you. I've forgotten it. Why do you keep bringing it up? We serve an awesome God. But we have this expectation because we're human that he is a God of justice. And so we expect his justice. But he's a God of grace and mercy. For those of us that know him and have accepted that, man, all that garbage that was poured out on Christ, we can walk in the newness and the, and the joy of that. It's awesome. We also saw something amazing last week, and that is this, that we saw a miracle. Moses survived 40 days and 40 nights, not just without food, but without water. 
Sound familiar? That's what Jesus did. But that's miraculous. You guys get that, right? You can go 40 days without food. People have done it. You cannot go 40 days without water. You'll die. So God sustained Moses through this whole time. It's pretty awesome. So let's dig in. Verse 29. Message should be fairly short tonight. I'll tell you. We're finishing up the chapter, but we'll see. Let's go. Verse 29 says this, you guys, in chapter 34 of Exodus. It says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in, the hand, in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. So Moses had spent these 40 days and nights in the presence of God. There was this miraculous fast that he was on from not just food, but also from water, right? And I was just thinking about that. I'm like, what had he done these 40 days? He had spent time chewing on what God was telling him. And he had spent time drinking in and and being in the flow of God's presence, right? Kind of a cool thing. And we can't fathom what what Moses had witnessed while he was on the mountain. Can you? I can't. Listen, he saw the back of God. Like he saw the back of God, and I still can't fathom what that was like. He heard God's voice saying all these amazing things to him audibly. That's awesome. He had had this this thing and his relationship with God and between God and Moses, it was so deep and rich. I mean, it's, it's a depth that, to be honest with you, in the Old Testament times, I don't know that it could ever be surpassed, really. Right? I mean, Abraham had a few conversations with, you know, either a Christophany or theophany, right? Some form of God. We know that. But it wasn't God in his form walking by and covering his eyes, right? It wasn't, it wasn't that. It's, it's amazing to think of what that might have been like. But we see here that it, it had a real and physical effect on Moses, <laughs> at least on his face, right? And it must have been just his face because I would imagine if his whole body was glowing, he would have looked down at his hands and been like, okay, something's crazy here. These stones are glowing. Oh, no, that's my hands. No, like, but apparently his face was glowing. Maybe he should, <laughs> sorry, it's a bad joke. If he came down at nighttime, he's like, man, it's really bright up here. Like his head was a, never mind, <laughs> like a headlight. <laughs> Sorry. But you guys, there was this like literal glow from him that was coming from spending time in the presence of God. And if we think about this, you guys, Moses wasn't glorious. Moses had spent time in, this, in glory. Moses had spent time basking in the glory. He was like the moon is to the sun, right? Like he was, he was reflecting the glory of the Lord. I can't imagine what it would look like. I don't think I blame Aaron and all the people for being a little freaked out by it. Would you? Okay, Moses, the first time you went up there, we thought you died, and so we went and screwed everything up, and then 3,000 of us died, and it wasn't a good day. This time you come down, and you're glowing. Like, what is happening right now? right? Like, I can't imagine what that was like. But I want to say this, you guys. Can I just be real with you? And, and I'm not trying to, like, make too fine of a point here. But as I was praying this through and as I was thinking about it, 
would we all agree that, yeah, our faces don't shine, but we have an opportunity every day to be in God's presence. A, a thing that most of these people didn't have that opportunity. Well, I shouldn't say that. They had the opportunity. They didn't take the opportunity, right? They said instead, Moses, you go. You go and deal with this. It kind of freaks me out. But you guys, we have the, the daily privilege, the hourly, the minute-by-minute minute privilege of just spending time in his presence. Tonight, when we're worshiping you guys, I always kind of feel that on Sundays, especially, man, sometimes when you're up playing the drums and you'll see, man, there's a whole handful of people that are like, and there's people that have said, like, I'm here for the word, and so they'll just come in late. And I'm always sad by that. Because for me, and when I see scripturally, you guys, you know the Psalms of Ascent, right? What was that there for? Because they would sing the entire way up to the temple so that when the word was spoken, their hearts were prepared. That's why we do all of our worship up front, all at one shot. Why? Because I don't know about you, but I have a harder time getting my heart ready and prepared for what God wants to speak to me when I'm standing up and sitting down in between a song and then some announcements and then this and then maybe a special music and then in this. And I'm not dogging out that style. Of, well, maybe I am. But, <laughs> but to be honest, it's up to each church on how they want to do their thing. But I tend to think biblically that there's a real work that's happening during worship specifically. It's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to be like, you know what? The whole way in, you berated your husband. The whole way in, you yelled at your kids. The whole way in, your heart was critical and jerky and whatever, and you need to deal with that stuff. And that's that opportunity, right? Because I would say this, as many times as you see people doing this, I often wonder too, because I'm guilty of this at times, of raising my hands and singing songs, and then after a while, the Holy Spirit's like, do you even, do you even know what you're singing? Have you ever been there where you're just singing words and you're like, ah, oh, Lord, I want this to be a real thing with you. So there's nothing wrong with not singing the song, but it is wrong to either sing the song or not sing the song if you have no concept of trying to enter into worship. Does that make sense? So there's plenty of times like tonight I sat down and I just spent some time with the Lord in prayer. I wasn't singing, sorry. But do you get my point? There's an opportunity and you guys, we have that chance and I got to say, yes, we're not necessarily going to be glowing, but I think our lives are changed through those things. I think we walk around with a peace and a joy that's different than the rest of the world. The more we spend time in his presence, I think that we are changed. Our countenance is changed. Our, our inner selves are changed, right? Like the more we walk with the Lord, I look back 10 years ago, I'm not the same man that I was then. Thank God you can all say praise Jesus for that right? Poor people 10 years ago that had to deal with me, right? But you get it? Like, and Lord willing, by his grace and by his mercy, and the more time I spend, I won't be the same next year this time because God changes us and we grow and we learn and we change. You guys, I can tell you this. It might not look that drastic to us, but I can say this, and I think we all can say this. When we've come to the Lord, those that knew us way before we knew the Lord probably look and do see a dramatic change. They should, right? And sometimes that freaks people out, doesn't it? So I think in some ways we can kind of relate to Moses, even if we can't relate to the glowing face. But the next thing I want to talk about is this. Moses had spent all these days, these 40 days and these 40 nights, in the presence of perfection, in the presence of the almighty God. And here's what I love. I love that when he came down off the mountain, and maybe it was partially because he didn't know, 
right? The Bible tells us that he didn't know, but I don't think he really cared either. Think about it. He had just spent time with the Lord. He didn't care what he looked like at that point. And I think that's pretty huge because he was not concerned about how he looked. He was just trying to get down the mountain to share everything that God had told him. And I think too often, you guys, we're too worried about what we look like. And that can go both ways. We're too worried about what we look like to our secular friends because we're like, well, if I get a little too preachy, then they might think I'm a this or I'm a that. And we're too worried about all that. Or on the other side, you guys, and maybe you guys have been guilty of this, where you come into church and you're like, no, but just praise Jesus. And it's like totally not you anymore because you're trying to fake it. And you're too worried about what people think that way. How about we just not worry about any of that? And instead of caring about any of those things, we just share what God's doing in our lives. And we praise Jesus along with people and what God is doing in their lives. Spurgeon said this about that whole thing. He said, I am afraid, brethren, that God could not afford to make our faces shine. Why? Because we should grow too proud. (laughs) It needs a very meek and lowly spirit to bear the shinings of God. I think it's a pretty awesome saying. Who's the only other person in the Bible that had a shiny face at one point? Stephen. Oh yeah, Jesus did too, but Jesus was God, so I kind of expected that of him, right? But Stephen, you guys remember? His, his face shone. Meek people. I think that's a really telling statement because I don't know about you all, but if I walked outside, I'm like, you guys need a light? Don't worry about your phone. I got it. <laughs> right? I'd be like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's how holy I am. And then it would be like, it would go out, <laughs> right? I'd be like, well, there, was, there went that. Now, I think it's true, you guys. I think it, it's true that we do well to let God do as he wills in our lives and not to worry about what we look like in the process because you will look foolish to those wise, wise people out in the world that think they've got it all figured out. That's what the Bible tells us, right? And praise God. And sometimes, you guys, when you're just being who you really are, guess what you'll look like to other fellow Christians? Sometimes you'll look like a bit of a heathen. I would rather see that and let God work that stuff out of us than to be fake and not grow. So yeah. We see that Aaron and the rest of the people were freaked out. (laughs) They were like, okay, are, we gonna, are you going to blow us up? Like, what's the plan here? Are you going to be like an atomic bomb that's going to be like, oh, boom, and everything's just going to disappear? Like, what's the plan here? So they kind of freaked out. But let's keep reading. Verse 31 it says this, but Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. So Moses called the people to himself so that they could hear what God had told him while he was on the mountain. And I need us to think about this. He was finally able to tell them the things that God had told them and that God had for them, you guys. And I want us to think about this. Remember this. He spent 40, this is like 80 some days into the process. Something that should have only taken 40. Because when he came down with that first set, He had a lot, right? He was ready to be like, guys, this is the plan. There's going to be a tabernacle and there's going to be people that the Holy Spirit's going to fall upon that are going to, you know, do all the things that we've already looked at. And there's going to be, you know, metal workers and 
fabric people and you know all these different artisans that are going to do all these things. He didn't ever get a chance to do that because he came down, he smashed the tablets, he dealt with them and their sin. And then he's like, okay, now I got to make the tablets. Thanks, guys. And he made the tablets and he went back up on the mountain and he spent another 40 days. And now 80 plus days possibly later, he finally gets to share with them everything that God wanted to tell him from the beginning. It was finally time for them to understand the plan. And I need us to hear this. Do you see how even in their unfaithfulness, God shows his faithfulness to them? Even though they had totally screwed it up, even though they had totally been people that didn't deserve God's presence at all, here he is saying, not only am I going to stay with you guys, I want you, I still want you to build a tabernacle so that I can be with you in your midst. Verse 33. It says, And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what uh, God had commanded, what he had command, was commanded, uh, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses and that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them. So when Moses was done speaking with the people, he put a veil over his face. Did you guys ever really wonder why he did that? Isn't that weird? Well, we're actually told, you guys, we learn about why it was from, from 2 Corinthians, forgive me, chapter 3. So flip over there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul tells us why. It's one of those cool things whenever the Bible tells us what's up so we don't have to just speculate and make a guess at it, right? It's always the best to let the Bible translate the Bible. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, we're going to read this. And Paul does some pretty amazing things with this idea of the veil that we're going to dig into for a little bit. But let's read. I'm going to start in verse 6. And what you'll see up on the screen is starting in verse 7. But, or I'll just explain what's happening here in chapter 3. So Paul's telling the church in Corinth, he's like, look, we're the ministers of the new covenant. And he's kind of contrasting the law, the old covenant, with the new covenant of Christ. And he's going through and he's making these contrasts and then in verse 6, he says that God had made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, right, of the law, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And now let's read in verse 7. It says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, so right, the law, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory." Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face. Why? So that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, 
that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, amen. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed, beholding the glory of the Lord, forgive me, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. You guys, why did Moses cover his face with a veil? Because he didn't want to see, he didn't want them to see that it was fading, that that glowing face was fading. And I love what Paul did with this whole concept. So he tells us that truth, that that's why he wore the veil. But then he goes into this deeper part of it. And it's the thing that I kind of want to sit on tonight because I think it's the, the big takeaway, right? Is this idea that you guys, the truth is, the truth of the gospel message for us, we know it's Jesus. But what was the truth of the law? This fading glory? It was the fact that they needed a savior, right? We have the gospel message. We have the never-ending eternal truth of Christ. They had the temporary thing that was going to happen until the Messiah came, the law. And the Messiah went, came to what? To fulfill the law. So it wasn't like he came and changed everything up. No, he fulfilled it all. He, he, he paid for it. It's done. And so, but that old, that, that law, what did it bring? It brought condemnation to them. It showed them like, you're screwed up. You're not going to get there on your own. You are never going to be good enough. It's another reason why when the enemy wakes you up in the morning and you're just like brushing your teeth like me and being like, oh God, I'm such an idiot. I need your forgiveness again. That's the law speaking. You're forgiven. Walk in it. I'm forgiven. I need to walk in it. Walk in his grace, right? But we see here that he put this veil on because it was like, man, the glory was fading. And the fact is, Paul goes into saying, like, man, that veil's still in place for many of the Jews. Guys, it is still in place for many of the Jews and people worldwide. The truth is, I can't remember what the percentage was. I think it was like 32% or 34% of nationalistic Jews actually believe in a God of any sort. It's pretty low. Most of the Jews just kind of view their race as like, eh, yeah, like they're Jewish. But they don't really have any concept or clue about Yahweh, a lot of them. And then if you break down that percentage, there's a much smaller percentage that actually genuinely follow it, right? The Hasidic Jews, the Orthodox Jews. There's all these like variations and shades within that. But the truth is, for many of these people, the veil still exists. So here's Moses, the leader who had the glory of God showing on his face. The people knew it. Think about it. He goes into the tent of meeting. He comes out. He's glowing again. They're like, yeah, that's our leader. That's the guy. He's heard from the Lord. He's spent time with, with Yahweh, and we're ready. Like, what's, what did God tell him to tell us? But then he would put a veil on because he's like, I don't want him to see that it's fading. And I don't think that was a pride thing. I really don't. I think it was a thing more of like, I want you to see that God is the one directing this, right? That I am just a human and that I'm failing, but I don't want you to see that. I want you to see God in me. Does that make sense? And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll get to heaven and we'll, Moses will be like, no, it was totally pride and vanity. <laughs> it might be, I don't know. But you get my point? 
but it's that idea that like, man, it would go in the tent, tent of meeting and God would give him that, that glow again. Like he would just get that back kind of thing. But then whenever that was fading, he would put it back on. And Paul was kind of saying three things specifically to the church in Corinth, but I think to us as well, you guys, and that is this, that the law did have glory. There was a glory to the law. There still is a glory to the law. Living by the Ten Commandments is a better way to live. It just is. Not murdering people is good, not just for you, but for the people that aren't getting murdered by you, right? It's just a better way to live. If there was no murder on this planet, life would be a lot easier for a lot of us. If we didn't steal from one another, prices would be lower. It would be better, right? Think about it. Notice I haven't even touched the real important ones right up front. To serve God, to not put idolatry, to not do all those things. Just following those simple rules would make life a lot easier. So the law does have a glory, but it is fading. Why? Because it doesn't lead to life. It leads to death. You could be almost perfect, and you would still end up in hell. Because we can't be perfect. Jesus brought eternal life through his death and resurrection. And it's the only chance we will ever have to see, truly to see, constant and abiding glory. And it's only coming through believing in what Jesus did. And the last thing that Paul shares is that the hope, the hope of the gift that we have to share is that eternal glory that will never fade, right? Verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And then verse 18, it says this, And I'm going to read it again because I love this, you guys. This is literally justification and sanctification in one verse. And we all with unveiled face, right? We people that have had the the blinders ripped off, we know that Jesus is our eternal Savior. Behold the glory of the Lord. Or I'm sorry, I did it again. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. This is the sanctification part are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, from one step to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. Each and every day, we are growing in the Lord as we just submit our lives to him. It's beautiful, you guys. Beautiful, but how do we do it? We do it through the spirit of the Lord. It's empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, you guys. So what's the big takeaway from this small little section of Exodus? Well, like I said, unlike Moses, we have God living in us. That's the truth. The Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us. Think about that. We don't have to like fuss and fight to get into the presence of God. We don't have to like start on the outside and make sure we sacrifice X number of animals to make sure that we're clean and ready so that we can then maybe, if we're of the right lineage and if we're of the right you know, standard of life, enter into the, the outer, outer area and then enter. You know what I'm saying? No, we can boldly come right into the Holy of Holies. We have access, free access to the presence of God all the time. It's beautiful. It's awesome. We walk in the eternal glory of Jesus, our Messiah. You guys, I'm telling you, this should change our lives. We should look different And I'm not coming down in condemnation. I'm just speaking a reality. I believe that for all of us, the more we sit in his presence, the more excited I get anyway. I don't know about y'all. 
But the more excited I get, the more I'm like, oh God, you care about a wretch like me? You put up with my garbage? Like, that's awesome. It should fill you with the joy. It should fill you with grace for others around you. It should fill you with mercy and love. Our lives should be different than the world around us out there, y'all. It just should. We have a glory that lives inside of us that will not fade ever. I want that to sink in, you guys. Let it sink in. I'm going to tell you this. As I was studying and preparing for this message, the enemy loves to test. So I'm like grabbing a hold of this and I'm like, oh God, thank you. And I'm just spending time with the Lord and I'm celebrating with the Lord just all that he's done in my life. And I'm just having this beautiful, amazing time. And then today I had to run my wife down to the airport to drop her off. And man, everybody was driving like a bunch of morons. And I got, I don't, I think I got like two fingers for things. I'm like doing 75, the speed limit's 65. They're doing 95 and they're honking at me and giving me the bird because I'm going too slow. Everything in me today was like, oh man, you want to try me? But I just kept going back to this like, no, Lord, I want to be different. Lord, I want to shine. So I like looked at them. And at one guy, I laughed at him as he drove by. I don't know how he took that. I can tell you how I kind of meant it. I was suffering and struggling a little bit because I was like, ha ha, you moron. I wish I could say I wasn't, but I was. God forgive me. But I want to be different, you guys. I want to shine. I want to shine. And yeah, I think Spurgeon's right. I think the reason we don't physically shine is because we're too proud. I'm too proud. But I want my life to be an example. I want to be different, you guys. We have this amazing and precious gift of salvation and people see that in our lives and we get to speak about it and we get to share it with everybody, you guys. We have the joy and the privilege of sharing the free gift of salvation with everybody we come into contact with. And I can tell you, they have a veil over their eyes. They have a veil over their face and they're hidden from that. But the truth is we don't. We don't, you guys. And too often, can I be honest with you? The church... The modern-day church walks around like they got the same veil on, right? And we walk around, and we let everything just bog us down, and we get all wrapped up in the world around us, and we stop living in a way that is shining Christ. We start living like Moses and smashing tablets. And I'm guilty of it too. But man, guys, do you understand what we're missing out on when we live that way? We have so much more. We have the spirit living in us. So instead of putting on the veil, let's spend time in his presence every day. Let's love on him. Let's be the light of Christ to everyone around us all the time. Let's be a people, you guys, that are never stopping growing, that are never stop, never stop shining, you guys, to be a city on a hill, to be that lamp that never gets burned out. And I can tell you this, you will never be able to do that on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in you to do that, you guys. And I also promise you one other thing. As soon as you vow in your heart to do those things, you will get more fingers on the road. You will get more people cutting you off. You will get rude people. You will get jerks around you and you will have every opportunity to practice. My encouragement to you is to take advantage of every opportunity to practice and walk in his grace when you screw it up. Walk in his grace and keep walking. Amen? Let's pray. Man, Lord... I love you and I thank you, Father, that you have 
poured out your mercy and grace upon us. And God, that you saw, you see fit, Father, you saw fit, Father, to pour out your justice, the justice that we all deserve, Lord, to pour out your wrath, Lord, that, that we all deserve, God. Every last one of us, Lord, there's not one of us that is good enough to not deserve all that you have to pour out. And yet, God, you did that to yourself just to make a way for us. And God, I freely admit, I don't understand when the world says that there's more than one way because God, you are God and, and, and is the one that poured out your Lord. You're, you, you did this to yourself just to make a way for us. That is the most gracious, loving, amazing gift you could have ever given us and you did it. And so yes, God, you have every right to say there is only one way. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes through any other way except through you, Jesus. And God, I pray, Father, that with that wonderful, beautiful, amazing promise that we would be a people, God, that want and desire to walk in the newness and the freshness of that truth. God, to share that with everyone we come in contact with. Lord, to be a people that are like Moses, God, and that, yeah, we spend time with you, Lord, and that maybe, yeah, maybe we won't have a shining face like Moses, but God, that our lives would be an example, a shining example, Lord, that we would be changed step by step by step into a cleaner and clearer image of you, Jesus, and less and less, Lord, would we look like us. And God, I do pray, Father, for each one that's here, for each one that's watching online, Lord, for anyone that's gonna listen to this later, Lord God, I pray, Father, that as the enemy steps up to test us, God, as you provide opportunities in our lives, Lord, to trust you in these things, I pray, Lord, that you would give us strength, Holy Spirit, and that we would not fall back into our stupid, stupid flesh. But God, I also thank you for your grace and your mercy for the ways that we don't do it right. You are so good to us. You are so perfect. You are so amazing and we love you. Lord, have your way in us. I pray all these things in the name of, in the name of Jesus. Amen.